So again, um, good evening, everybody, and nice to see you all. Uh, really a number of people I haven't seen for a while, including Erica's daughter. I'm forgetting her name, but it's nice to see you. <laughs> we get a big wave, good. And, um, and, and many others of you, all good to see you in the new year. Um, and I thought I would talk tonight about the Four Noble Truths. I thought, oh, let's start the new year with the most basic, basic Buddhist teaching, which is the Four Truths. And the way that the Buddha discovered the Four Truths, it's a story about his life, which he was, he was a prince. He, he lived in a small kingdom at the foothills of the Himalayas in Asia. Um, and he, he had the privilege of a prince and, uh, and his father expected him to follow in his father's footsteps and become king. And at some point, he just felt like this wasn't right. There wasn't, it wasn't for him. What he was seeing, what he was feeling, what he wanted was something more than all the riches. And so he left and he left and he became uh, a renunciate at that time. Uh, meaning, uh, and the renunciates at that time mostly were ascetics. So he became a very um, powerful, powerful meaning. He was very devoted to his asceticism. And he lived as an ascetic for a number of years and did all the ascetic practices that teachers were offering. And he was considered very good and teachers wanted him to teach and he didn't want to teach, but he wanted freedom. And so he kept seeking it, seeking it, seeking it. And then at some point he almost died because he was, it said, living on one grain of rice a day. And uh, he almost died and he gets a message from the Deva realm, from the heavenly realm. And the message is that um, he's being too hard on his body. And, and, and then he has a thought and it says this in the Pali canon, he thinks, he remembers a time in his father's garden when he was up in a tree overlooking his father's garden and his, and his thinking stopped, his mind stopped. He got very quiet, very calm, very still, and, and he got very relaxed and he got very present with himself. He became more absorbed in the moment, in one moment. And he remembered this and he thought, oh, could this be the way to freedom? And then he gets a message saying, yes, that is the way. And so he, um, he leaves the ascetic practice and he, um, and he um, then vows to discover freedom. And after a while he goes to, he sits under a tree in India, the Bodhi tree. And he, he, just, um, he just vows to awaken, to discover freedom. And he sat down, and in that night, he has all these visions, all this understanding, and by morning, by the morning's light, he awakens. And what he discovered that first night was the Four Noble Truths, or what's called, even better, the Four Ennobling Truths, which is he discovered something about suffering, about the cause of suffering, <clears throat> about freedom from suffering, and the path that leads to freedom. And he says in the Pali Canon, 
Um, he says, as long as my vision was not fully clear regarding the four ennobling truths, I did not claim to have realized authentic awakening. And so he gets it that this was what leads to freedom, this very simple schema of suffering, cause, release, path, right? And it's it's just, you know, it's not even, um, it's not magic what he taught. He just recognized a certain kind of unsatisfactoriness. He, un he recognized the unsatisfactory component of life. And he realized there were causes and conditions that caused that unsatisfactoriness. And that when they're absent, there is freedom. And there is also a way to a path to, free, to that state of freedom. And so the truths, the four truths are to be known, but they're also to be acted upon. And that's key. That's often not emphasized in Buddhism, in Buddhist teaching. It's not just there are four truths. There is suffering. Dukkha is the word for suffering in the Pali. There is suffering. And this is to be understood. There's an origin to suffering or causes and conditions to suffering. And these are to be released. And there can be the cessation or the ending of suffering. And this is to be realized. And there's a path to that freedom. And this is to be cultivated. And so really the simple way to say it in the Pali, it's, it's about dukkha, uh, samudaya, which is the, the cause of suffering, naroda, which is the release of suffering, and maga, which is the path. And the Buddha said, maybe I already said that, if, if it were not possible, no, he said this, he said, if it were not possible to free the heart and mind from entanglement, in the unhealthy and the unwholesome and the unskillful states, I would not teach you to do so. But because it is possible to free the heart from entanglement in the unhealthy, unwholesome, unskillful, I offer these teachings. And so this is an alchemical teaching. It's, a, it's an alive teaching. It's a teaching of process. It's recognizing suffering, seeing its cause, realizing its absence, and cultivating a life that allows this alchemy to become an organic process of awakening. It's not a one-time thing. I hope everybody gets that. It's not a one-time thing. You go through the Four Noble Truths once and you're done. Good luck. But what happens is we see it's alive that there's suffering. And then we start to see why is there suffering? We start to understand it. And then we start to understand the causes and conditions and relax our grasp on them, our cathexis to them, our identification with them. And then we find freedom or relaxation or ease or a sense of simply being. And then we see that, oh, there's a whole path that supports our being free to be ourselves here and now in the present moment. And this isn't a set of rules. 
or laws, but really it's cultivating a life that where this alchemy becomes an organic process of awakening over and over again. Mm. um, You know, it's a kind of interactive living paradigm to see suffering, cause, freedom, and path, right? And it's an ennobling dialectic that we engage in with our whole life. And so all of life becomes practice. It's not just meditation. Meditation is one part of it. Um, It's really a critical examination into the truth of what's here and investigating that truth and to live it and examine it and discover it over and over again. One of my friends said, spirituality is the phenomenological investigation of truth. Spirituality, dharma, is the phenomenological investigation of truth. It's right in the lived moment. It's now that we discover it, and then now, and then again now. And it's in many ways, it's not just one thing. The Buddha, as many of you know, was called the great physician, right? And, the, and it said that he, he, um, he uh, diagnosed the dilemma in the first two truths, that there's suffering and there's causes and conditions the suffering. And the prescription is in the second two truths, that that the resolution to our suffering, to our illness, is letting go and, and cultivating that letting go over and over again. Bhikkhu Bodhi, he said it this way, he said, the essence of the Buddhist teaching can be summed up in two principles, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And of course, the the Eightfold Path is part of the Four Noble Truths. And Bhikkhu Bodhi goes on, he says, "The the first, the Four Noble Truths covers the side of doctrine. The primary response it elicits is understanding. The second covers the side of discipline in the broadest sense of that word, and the primary response it calls for is practice. And so when we understand the Four Noble Truths and the whole Eightfold Path, then it becomes really beginning to understand what's true and live it, and live it based on the Eightfold Path, on the different components of the path which are right understanding or view, um, right uh, intention or resolve, um, right action, right speech, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi, right concentration. That's the Eightfold Path. And those become the components that support us to keep awakening moment by moment by moment, day by day, week by week, year year by year. It's a living practice. And this is what we have is our lives. This is what we've been given, right? It's a gift to be alive, as many of you know. 
And it's and so what are we going to do with it? What, why not wake up in the middle of it, which the Buddha said was available to all of us? And so I'll say a little bit about each truth. And then I want to hear from you any, your thoughts, your questions, concerns about this talk or about practice in general. So the first noble truth is that there's dukkha, there's suffering. And the word dukkha is very, very broad. It means many things. It means unsatisfactoriness or unreliability or imperfection or sorrow, sadness, misery, dis-ease, discomfort, discontentment, pain, hurt, stress. And of course, my question for all of us is, oh, what was your dukkha today? Because dukkha is not just the worst things. It's not just suffering is the worst of everything, but it's really, it's really um, just the ordinary dukkha. The ordinary, like I had a little techno dukkha, right? Trying to get on with you all. And I didn't like it. <laughs> and I get, I get nervous. I won't be able to do it. Right. And it's not a big deal, Dukkha, but it is. It's a little bit of, you know, it was, it was, um, um, you know, stressful to have that. And that, that is Dukkha. So that's always a little of my Dukkha today. And, uh, and I had a little, I had some other techno Dukkha. I was, I was actually sitting with a teacher of mine for the last two days. And, and, um, and, but I wanted to tape the 49ers game so I could watch it. And I couldn't get the audio to work on the TV. And I was like, this is, I was not happy about that. That was, that was bigger dukkha for me. But, and then, and then I sent an email to my techno guide. He, he said, oh, go check this, this, this. And I did it and I knew what to do. And then I fixed it. And then I could forget about it. And then I was, then I was dukkha free for the moment. Uh, but think for yourself, what, what dukkha did you have? Did you have some relational dukkha or some body dukkha today? Or did you have some heart dukkha today or some mind dukkha today? Were there things you wanted or didn't want that you couldn't get, something you wanted and you couldn't have, or something that was here that you didn't want and you had some of that dukkha? Or did you have time dukkha? I mean, I had some time dukkha also because I was trying to uh, do this day with my teacher. I was also still working on this talk when I had time. So it was busy. And, and so it was very, it was a very low-key dukkha, but it was not, it was dis-ease. I wasn't at ease. And it's possible to become aware of this and to free ourselves. And the awareness is the beginning of the freedom. The Buddha said, if it were not possible to free the heart and mind from entanglement, I would not teach you to do so. But because it is possible to free from entanglement, I teach this. And, and Sayada Utejaniya, who, as many of you know, is a, one of my teachers and uh, uh, um, a monk from uh, Myanmar, and he said, if there is no understanding, there will immediately be resistance. 
to unpleasant experience. We need to learn to accept things as they are, and that also means accepting difficult experience as it is. And then he's talking about dukkha because then that's the beginning of understanding. Or more poetically, Oscar Wilde, the, I believe the English writer said, where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. Where there is sorrow, there is holy ground. That when we turn towards our heartache, our sorrow, our sadness, our pain, it's the beginning of becoming free of it. And the second noble truth is about the cause or the conditions that lead to dukkha. The, the word that's in the Pali is tanha, and tanha means thirst or desire or craving, whether it's physical or emotional or mental. And craving usually is a, some feeling of lack or need or we want or we're missing or we don't want what's here is also part of that, that craving. And it's very normal. We have it all the time. Oh, I like this. I don't like that. I want this. I don't want that. And when we can see it, then we can make a choice about whether we're going to follow the want or not. But if we're not aware of it, we, we react so automatically, so habitually. And the habitualness is part of the dukkha. And it's one of the great things about coming on retreat, which some of you were on the retreat I taught over, over New Year's, and all you're doing is sitting, walking, eating, pissing, shitting, and sleeping. Like that's the whole retreat, really. And then you meet with teachers a little bit, you hear Dharma talk, and there's a little bit more. But really, it's all about, oh, can you just be a human being and be aware of being a human being? And all the and and you see how quickly you want this, you don't want that. I want to sit here. I want to, I want them to ring the bell now. Ring the goddamn bell because it feels like forty five minutes feels like a long time sometimes, and it is. But if we're aware of it, we can be aware of the energy of the wanting instead of just being at the mercy of it. So the second noble truth is about the cause or the, the thirst that leads to suffering. And the third noble truth, Naroda, is about the cessation of suffering or the letting go of suffering or the relaxing even with what is difficult. Hmm. There's, a, there's one of my favorite, favorite, really like all-time favorite Buddhist texts is the Shinshin Ming. And it was from the Mahayana teachings of Buddhism, Shinshin Ming. And the beginning of the Shinshin Ming begins, the great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And it's pointing at freedom. The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. And it's really talking about the grasping or pushing away of any moment of experience. 
And for those of us who have no preferences, there's freedom. There's freedom from suffering. And even freedom from suffering when what we don't like is happening, we can relax around it. And I often say this is the original translation of the Shinshin Ming. I forget the man who translated it right now, but but uh, when he translated it a second time, he translated it a little more accurately, but not as poetically. So I like the poetic, right? The great way is not difficult for those who have no preferences. And the second translation was, um, the great way is not difficult for those who are not attached to their preferences, which is more accurate, but less poetic, because we all have preferences. But it's, and so letting go of our attachment to our preferences, relaxing with them is very freeing. Mm. Shin Shin Ming also has another beautiful line pointing at the freedom from suffering. It says, realization, realization or awakening is realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And I'm sure all of you have that now, right? Realization is to be without anxiety about non-perfection. And my friend Stephen Batchelor, who I very much appreciate as a Buddhist, Buddhist practitioner, and somebody who's very who's into secular Buddhism. He wrote, the Buddha acknowledged the existential condition of anguish. That's what he, that's how he translates dukkha. Buddha acknowledged the existential condition of anguish. On examination, he found it its origins to lie in self-centered craving, taha, tanha. On examination, he find it found its origins to lie in self-centered craving. He realized that this could cease, and he prescribed the cultivation of a path of life embracing all aspects of human experience as an effective treatment. And this is, of course, the fourth noble truth, which is maga, or the path, which includes, as I said, right, understanding, intention, action, speech, livelihood, effort, mindfulness, concentration. And really, it's what leads to freedom, or to awakening, or to what's sometimes talked about in Buddhism as the sure heart's release. And it's a beautiful word to awake, to become awake. From the, it comes from Old English, and it means to spring into being, or to arise into being, or to originate into being. And it means becoming ourselves, to spring into the essence and truth of what we are, and the goodness of what we are, and the holiness, if you will, of what we are. And it's available to us here and now. And there's different levels of awakening that include moment by moment awakening or very full awakening. 
again, Saira Uteshadiya, he said, if you continue to practice daily, all day long, always with the commitment to try and bring awareness to every part of your life, it will happen. You can become enlightened in daily life. And this is from somebody who did, because before he was a monk, he was a, a householder like all of us, and he had a business and a family. And for many, many years, that's all he did. But he practiced so diligently in his life and in his business day that he became awakened. And his teachers, his monastic teachers all said, you have to teach. And we all have the good fortune to be here to practice. We have the good fortune of having the Dharma offered to us and the good fortune to have the the sangha, the community, so we can practice. And my friend Jack Cornfield said, if we understand community as a place to mature our practice of steadiness, patience, and compassion, to become conscious together with others, then we have the fertile ground, the fertile soil of awakening. And that's what we're doing here tonight, where this is part of tending the soil, the, the fertile soil of awakening is right here. So those are a few words about the four truths from me. I would love to hear from all of you who would like to question, comment, reaction, liking, not liking, agreeing with me. It always gets so much more interesting when you talk, at least for me, because I've heard Eugene talk a lot, but I like to hear what you have to say. And of course you can, uh, at least on my screen, it has a raise hand button. Sometimes it's in uh, some other button, but Michelle's raising her hand. So let's start with her. Uh, thanks, Eugene. Um, so on my way home to come to the meeting- Wait, 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 oh. wait. Can, can we, Johnny, can we put her- Oh, spotlight me. Yeah, not spotlight, just speaker view her would do it. But either way. It'd be lovely. Yay. Okay. I don't need to see me though, but maybe. I want to see you though, so it's better. Okay. Yeah, okay. thank you. So um, I was listening to the audible of the book, The Body Keeps the Score, mm -hmm. um, which is all about trauma. And they were just talking about attachment theory and all the different kinds of attachment and how so much of it has to do with, you know, just things that happened when we were younger. And I loved the phrase you read, self-centered attachment to, and then you said more. And it just occurred to me, 
you know, I'm forever called to this, to this study. And I have so many preferences, <laughs> um, so many. And before the retreat that I just spent with you last year, I used to say that jokingly, um, you know, I'm not bossy. I'm just trying to help you live your best life. And I let that go because, you know, that's this thing that I'm attached to of do it this way. And mm -hmm. I no longer want to be so attached to that. And it's been a real um, kind of a joyful release of that. And I guess I, when you said that self-centered attachment, it really resonated. And I love that there is a path. I just have to keep doing this. Exactly. And also it's really beautiful. You're being able to see, because people think self-centered attachment is so bad. And they don't, they think, oh, not me, not me. But in fact, we all have self-centered attachment. The thing to do is to see it and then we can relax and not be identified with it, not be confected to it. But it's very normal for the ego self. To, that's how egos function. And the trick is, or what's paradoxical is the, is that spiritual practice is going beyond the ego, is revealing what's already here that is not ego-centered. Mm -hmm. And that is freedom. And what I notice too is that if I, because sometimes it's upsetting to see that part that's so attached or that's um, the, the ego stepping in. And, and I learned that if I just keep sitting and mm -hmm. keep listening, mm -hmm. that some message will come through that will remind me not to be attached to that thing or not to like, I'm a bad person. It's just, it was a survival mechanism and now I don't need it as much. I have exactly, exactly. So that's, then you're seeing the causes and conditions, like it's a survival mechanism and it's an egoic mechanism that the ego needs to survive. And the, the tricky part here is that um, egos can't survive without that. And so that's why the ego doesn't, the ego likes spiritual practice thinking it's going to become a better ego, <laughs> right? But when it really gets like, oh, this is not about me, it doesn't like it so much. It's like, okay, can we go do something fun now? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Right. Sure, thank you. I've got to go. Okay, I'm going back to gallery view. Brad, hey, Brad. Nice to see you. It's nice to see you too, Eugene. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so something I was curious about from your talk, uh, you talked about your teacher and how he was able to practice, be aware in his business life. Yeah, about like, yeah, yes. Could you... I'd be curious just to hear more about what that looks like. Like, how did, how did he or she, I don't know if it's he or she, how, how did your teacher do that practice? 
uh, diligently. Like he was just really committed to being aware and really committed to being aware and, 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 and seeing, and then learning how to do it in, in his work because he was a merchant selling stuff. And so, he, you know, and he, you know, and he had a family and he wanted to make money and all that, but he really wanted to see how to be aware. And, and he, I don't, I don't know how he did it, but he did it. And so he had a lot of commitment. He had a lot of patience also with himself. He was very kind to himself and very fierce at the same time. And that's a really good combination for practice to learn how to be fierce and really give yourself to practice very diligently and kind at the same time and, and not do it perfectly, right? Because you learn how to do it by making mistakes, right? Which we all know. <laughs> yes, yes. That and, feels like a, a big part of my path in the work world has been learning by making mistakes, but also learning by... Um, I think the betrayals, the self-betrayals are, are another place where the learning really happens. Just yeah, recognizing. But not judging oneself harshly for what you're calling self-betrayal. Seeing that, oh, we keep not staying with what's true and what we know. And I do that. And I'm always like, you know, like, okay, what the hell's going on, Eugene? right? Why not stay right here, wherever I am? Because I am here, wherever I am. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe you might have a more complicated business world than I have. But, <laughs> but, but, but still, you know, I have a life and family and kid and this and that, and, you know, there's always something. Life, life, so this is a, a part when I was I was actually did, did a, I've done a, a you know a, a lot of talks about the four truths, but I was still looking and reading about the four truths the last week, and um, uh, and uh, what was I going to say? I lost it. It'll come back to me anyhow. There was something about about really seeing how um, it's an ongoing practice of discovering the four truths in the middle of wherever we are, you know, even with whatever, whatever level of, oh, I know what I was going to say. They, one of the quotes said, oh, they say life is dukkha. And actually I listened to an old friend of mine and he was saying, oh yeah, life is dukkha. I never say that. But life has dukkha in it, in all its components. And we can be free of it in any of its components, even in the worst components. And that's, of course, very radical. And none of, neither of us have the worst, right? But I mean, people like you see the freedom of somebody like uh, uh, um, Gandhi, right, in India and the kind of freedom that he discovered based on the truth, right? Anything else, my friend? You could complain yeah. anymore. 
<laughs> ah, you know, like I just am noticing uh, that one of the challenges for me is that as I find myself to be more kind and more loving, I just run into the limits. Like, like I sit with you and I'm just, ah, I'm just so full of love to see you, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's just like fantastic. Just, just that we appear and we're looking at each other mm -hmm. and it's just extraordinary. And and I love that you are giving this talk. That's why I tuned in in part because you were starting at such a beginning because totally. after yeah. all these years of practice, suddenly the, I'll have the most extraordinary realization. And it'll just be like, it'll just be like, oh yeah, that's what they, that's the first fucking thing they teach you in Buddhism. <laughs> it's like, the, you know, like, yeah. and, and I'm just, wow. Okay you know and it's such a relief like oh it was so basic and simple oh my god you know yes that's what they were trying to tell me <laughs> it, it's it's really such a key teaching and what i'll do is over the next number of weeks that i'm when i'm teaching i'm going to go into it a little more i'll do a whole talk on dukkha and a whole talk on on um uh uh, Samumaya, and then, you know, etc. I'll go through the four components a little more. And so we can keep looking at what, what is it and what's needed and how can we practice and use the four truths to keep discovering freedom over and over again in each moment, because each moment is different. So so Saira Utejaniya, who you asked about, right, who is a householder, um, he, and he really talks about awareness so much, like awareness is key. And then he wrote a book that said, awareness is not enough. <laughs> and that's beautiful because it points at the paradox of practice. It's more than just awareness. It's more than any one thing. It's a whole life of dharma and giving our life to it and giving our life in the way that you do in the work that you do. Right. Cause that is, right. that is part of your, your Donna, what you do. Right. Cause Brad works in the health world in the healing professions, even to call them professions is kind of funny, but he's a healer. Let's say that. <laughs> trying to become more of a human in all of that. Yeah, less professional. But the last thing, I, if, I, if you don't mind, I just want to know pieces. The thing that's really been very awake for me, and I feel that it is connected to what you're teaching, but it's not entirely clear to me how, but just the, the intensity of, recognizing that things actually just are exactly what they are and Ding. and in yeah yeah keep going i'm just i'm just emphasizing what you said because they are and they're not anything else they're not anything that we think about them any name we give them they're not part of any story there isn't they actually just are what they are kind of quite even relentlessly is not quite the word, but 
but you know, that's what they are. And it, it strikes me that something about the noble truth relates to that. And it's not super clear to me, but it has to do with, with the way that we make, um, we, we get very caught up in what our stories are about things, but the, the, their actual, the simpleness that, 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 they really are exactly what even a story is exactly what it is. It's a story. Even a, mm-hmm. even a suffering is exactly what it is. It's a suffering, even a, a pain, even a joy, even a, everything exactly. Yeah. And nothing else. Well, it's just, you're, you're beautiful. Again, you said it, you're talking about the simplicity of reality and that's what's difficult for us as humans. Cause we all are very, used to it being more, more, more dramatic, bigger, or less, or not enough, or something. But when we actually land in the lived moment, like this moment, just this moment, nothing else, everything is fine, or at least okay, Right? It's just this. It's a thought, a feeling, a sound, a smell, a taste, a touch, a sensation. And that's all. And at, in that level of simplicity, there's freedom. And you know this story, and I just love to talk about it, um, uh, about the Buddha and Bahia, Bahia of the Barkwa. And, and Bahia was an ascetic, was practicing, thought he could get enlightened, he at some point he asks the gods, "Will I get there?" And the gods come down and say, "No, you're doing the wrong practice and the wrong thing. You're not going to get there. If you want to get awakened, please go see see the there's somebody there now. You could go see the Buddha." And and he says, "Well, where is he? I'll go find him." And he's a hundred miles away. And in mythological time, Bahia goes in one night. He goes to where the Buddha is and he shows up at, at 11.45. And so in a.m. and he shows up and he starts looking for the Buddha and somebody points him to the Buddha and he goes to the Buddha and he says, please, uh, venerable, um, teach me the Dharma, teach me the truth. I want to be awakened. And the Buddha says no, because it's alms round and the Buddha has to get his lunch. He said, no, I have to go for lunch now. I can't teach you now. So now how would you all like that? You go, you finally get to the Buddha and he says, no, I have to go to McDonald's or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think he's probably a better, he's got better food than McDonald's. But, and, and, and Bahia asked him again and the Buddha says, no, I can't, I have to go on alms round. And the Buddha and Bahia trumps the Buddha by asking three times, which has some magic, you know, you know, connotation in Buddhism. But also he says it this way. He says, please teach me the Dharma, teach me, uh, teach me venerable, uh, because uh, we don't know if you or I will live another day. So he trumps him with impermanence. And the Buddha, impermanence is big on impermanence. So the Buddha says, okay, I'll give you a very concise teaching. And he says it this way. Bahia, in the scene, just the scene. In the herd, just the herd. In the thought, just the, or in the felt, just, or in the thought, just the thought. In the felt, just the felt. 
when you practice in this way, Bahia, um, you know, uh, in the scene, just the scene, heard, just heard, in the simplicity of each thing, when you practice in this way, you will not be here, nor there, nor in between. Just this is the end of suffering. And Bahia gets it. And he's freed, right? And then there's more to the story, which I'll tell sometime, but it really... It's really about coming into this simplicity of just this moment and the freedom that's available moment by moment. Oh. So. Thank you. Thank you. Have fun. And if you're here next week, you have to tell me how it goes in your work. I would love to, Eugene. Okay. Okay. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, Andrew, I think you're up next. Hi, Eugene. Hi, um, Andrew. I think you caught me when we were meditating, but you may not have been talking to me. But um, I absolutely talking to you. I like. To no, I mean, I, well, I mean, when you said <laughs> it's important to to not be doing other things. <laughs> That's why I was talking to you. Come on. No. <laughs> I don't know if you're kidding or not, but I've been. I'm not I, I kidding. Was, okay. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, I'm fairly certain it was me because I, and I've been, I've seen gallery view, and if somebody wants to do something else, they turn it off, right? But I uh -huh. left it on thinking yeah. I could be invisible. So yeah. I use, I use my feeling ill as like the excuse that yeah. I can drink my tea because I'm, I'm, I'm reclined in the, Right. in the easy chair with the iPad instead of at the table and I'm not feeling well, so I can, it, it's good enough for me to just be sitting here and listening to uh, to you talking about meditation and I get enough out of it, but you did me a favor. So I put the tea down and I actually was able to get some, um, some, some quiet and put my suffering away for a minute so you did me a favor thank you uh, I, that's part of my job is to do you favors <laughs> <laughs> no but really really andrew i mean really what i thought i thought oh if we were sitting in the meditation hall well, i would just, have done that right, you won't do that and i want everybody to remember we are sitting in the meditation yeah, hall yeah. even though it's it's a zoom meditation room i know but yeah and so yeah but great i'm glad it was helpful yeah, it, a lot, a lot was helpful. But I, I'm, I know everybody suffers, and I, I always think that I have it worse. But I've been really wanting freedom, really bad, in these days. And a lot of it's because I retired last week, and uh -huh. um, you know, that's one step, but it's not the real hard work. And I haven't been doing the hard work, and I've been in a lot of mental anguish and I haven't been sitting and it's been causing me physical suffering and, and the behavior, the thing like you talked about, and I was surprised that even you do this, it was something to the effect that, you know, you know that every time you walk and you step into that hole, you, you're gonna trip and fall down, but it's hard to not do it again over and over again. So it's, yeah. Um, that, that's why it's so important to be kind to ourselves, really, Andrew. Over and over, be kind. 
more than anything. Yeah, and that, that's something I have a hard time with. Well, well, I'm telling you to be kind to yourself, or I'm going to be kind, so kind to you, you won't be able to stand it. You'll kill me with your kindness. <laughs> something, I'm trying to just emphasize it by making a joke about it. Really, yeah. be, be kind, because why not be kind to yourself, really? And, and in psychology, acceptance, awareness, action, and then there was the Buddhist corollary, the way, I forgot how you said it, but it sort of translated into, the, into what you were talking about, how that it's not enough to, be, to know what the four truths are that you right, have but to, to live them. Work them. You have to live them. Yeah. So it's the yes. action, awareness, acceptance, action. Yes. Psychologists say, um, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm no expert, but yeah. Um, so I, I, I wish myself luck on more, more meditation and putting my cup of tea down. Put your cup of tea, put your, you know what somebody said, a friend of mine, somebody on the retreat, one of the other teachers said that Jack Cornfield used to say, put your tush on the cush. And uh, that's that's all we're asking you to do is just sit there, even for 10 minutes at a time. It's yeah. good. Five minutes, whatever it is, just and see what happens. Yeah. And my biggest problem is using my physical stuff, whether it's my I mean, I don't have anything terribly terrible, but I've got asthma and I've got um, pains in my shoulder and my knee. I can't. I can't use those things as excuses because when it's the hardest times to meditate, those are the times that I get the most benefit. Yeah, it's really good to see that. And of course, it is difficult to have body dukkha and you have it. But, but if you can sit with it, you can start to let your consciousness surround the body dukkha even because your consciousness is not there's not dukkha in your consciousness. Consciousness or awareness can surround the body dukkha. Yeah. Then I'm going to stop now because there's one more person and we're running out of time. Okay, thanks. So, but thanks. it's good to see you. Glad you're here. Keep being yeah. kind to Andrew. Thanks, Eugene. Okay. Virgil. You're you're not unmuted yet. There you Hi. go. Hi. Stephanie. And Pardon? um it's Stephanie and I, 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 yeah, okay. Um I have had a lot of body dukkha in the last few weeks in that I had rebound COVID, which mm, was sorry worse than the original visitation and um, what you were saying about awareness surrounding all the body dukkha uh -huh. I really could experience that at times uh -huh. there were times when I was so sick that that the dukkha just overtook me but if I remembered to sit in the morning, I could reach that place where just 
open, empty awareness was totally undisturbed and accepting and even loving of the yes. body dukkha that was going on. Yes. Great. And to be able to touch that and remember it, going back over all of the Four Noble Truths is just such a gift, such a gift. Right. That's beautiful what you're saying, really, Stephanie, because it's difficult when the body hurts, when we're in pain, when we're ill, and yet it is possible at least some of the time to be able to do that, to be able to be aware of it and not identify, not in the, not affected to it, not just identified with it, but there's some space to be with it. And yeah. that's freeing. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I hope it's a better week for your body. It is already a better week. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So I'll we'll make a little sharing of merit and then I'll ring the bell. And we'll offer our appreciation, our gratitude, our merit. Uh, may it go out in every direction, appreciating our good fortune that we have the time and place and teachings where we can study together, where we can study dukkha and the causes of dukkha and the potential for freedom from dukkha and the path that leads to freedom. And may that goodness that we have right here go out in every direction, touching beings in all worlds and all realms, May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from dukkha, free from suffering. May all beings awaken and discover their true nature, their Buddha nature, the nature of wisdom and compassion. CrossFit. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Okay. Thank you, Eugene. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Amy, for your announcement. Don't leave. Don't leave. I'm not leaving. I'm here with you. <laughs> Thank you, Johnny, for well. everything. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.